0: Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me, as usual, is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hello, Scott, and to everybody listening. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians interested in crime and the darker side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and an Animo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Mmm. my regular mouth it's episode 50 whoa that feels like it feels like a milestone it really
1: really does it's like episode 50 and we've already been on the news and we're still friends we're still friends most days most days (laughs) yeah it's wow from just sitting talking about it
0: to episode 50 right it's pretty spectacular it is amazing that we got this far and I honestly, I, I couldn't imagine it with anybody else. Oh, thanks. This episode is going to be an interesting one. I remember this story well. Yeah, same. We've all seen them, armored car security guards in a mall, their heavily armored truck idling outside. One guard will be filling an ATM with cash or fixing it, while another one or two stand guard ensuring the safety of the other guard. Yeah. Whose back is turned. Yeah, we've all seen it. Those folks are not police officers, but they're highly trained to handle firearms. And I think it's one of the only civilian jobs I know of in Canada where being armed is part of the job. Hmm. Uh, Tim Horton's employee? That's having poop thrown at Oh, you. yeah. I confuse those two. I worked in security for a few years, and the heaviest thing that I could carry was a large mag light, one of those flashlights with like six D-cells in it. Yeah. In a pinch, that could do some damage, Uh, but it was a flashlight first. I remember as a youth, like for some reason,
1: mag lights were all the rage. Like me and my friends, everybody wanted mag lights. I I had a biggie. Yeah. Yeah. Those were like expensive though. Yeah, well, mine was through work, so it was issued to me through work. Yeah, but those are like really, really nice and heavy.
0: Yeah. You can
1: knock somebody out with that easily.
0: The fact that a job is so risky it requires uh, to be equipped with a firearm, you'd hope that there'd be a lot of screening going into the hiring. Absolutely. As far as we're aware, these folks do go through extensive background checks, things like a history of violence, property crimes like theft, poor credit. And other issues like depression, drug and alcohol abuse, and or hints of other poor character would be red flags. Great, another job I can't do. Yes, exactly. Poor character. In the early morning hours of June 15, 2012 a dark blue G4S Cash Services armoured vehicle pulls into the Hub Mall in Edmonton, Alberta and Parks. As well as containing shops, the Hub Mall is a student residence of the University of Alberta. Another white G4S minivan pulls up behind the armoured car. Michelle Shugelsky, 26, and 25-year-old Matt Schumann are in the minivan. Michelle was a veteran with G4S and a trainer there to teach and observe the green group of guards in the armored truck. This is on-the-job training. There are three other guards in the armored truck. Eddie Regiano, 39, was tasked with driving. Brian Ilisek, 35, and relative newbie Travis Brandon Baumgartner, 21, were in the back of the truck with the cash. They were at the mall to replenish the ATMs at TD Canada Trust just inside the mall's entrance. It was their third stop of the night and the evening had been uneventful thus far. As the other four guards exited the vehicle and entered the mall, Eddie Reggiano waited with the truck idling outside. Each member of the team had a 38 caliber revolver on their hip, and two speed loaders of hollow-point bullets on their belt, giving each a total of 18 rounds in case of a shootout. A hollow-point round is meant to inflict the highest amount of damage possible inside the body of the target by deforming and fragmenting. As the bullet fragments, it loses some of the force needed to go all the way through the target, lessening the likelihood of unintentional wounding or killing of another person collaterally. Shots ring out inside the mall, and screams are heard around 12 minutes after midnight, which is when the first 911 calls are made. A tall man dressed in a dark security guard uniform is seen running out of the mall. He shoots Eddie Reggiano, first in the face, just under his eye, and then twice in the back of the head, leaving the father of two face down in a pool of blood. The man then hopped into the driver's side of the armored truck and sped off out of the parking lot. A couple of Project SafeWalk volunteers were the first on the scene seeing Eddie not moving and clearly deceased on the pavement outside the mall. When they entered the mall, they heard a thud and moaning from inside the locked ATM vestibule and they saw blood seeping out from under the door. Members of the Edmonton Police Service and ambulances arrived minutes after the 911 calls. First responders could not enter initially as the vestibule door required a key that the people presumed to be inside would have. They heard one man crying for help and moaning and screaming incoherently. The amount of blood coming out from under the door indicated they had to act fast. Unsure where the gunman was, some of the officers began immediately securing the area. This was home to hundreds of U of A students Other officers began to work on the door to the vestibule of the ATM, trying to bash it down. Police were also unaware at that point of the man who had been seen driving away in the G4S truck. They had no idea what they were dealing with. It was a tense situation. Upon entering, police find Michelle Shigelski and Brian Ilisek motionless with gunshot wounds to the head. One officer said the smell of gunpowder was still present in the room and smoke hung in the air. He claimed it smelled like the police shooting range. Police were slipping and sliding in the massive amount of blood in the small vestibule. Paramedics and police dragged Michelle and Brian out of the room for more space to work on them, leaving streaks of blood behind them. The two showed no signs of life. It was obvious that the massive head trauma they'd both incurred was not survivable. Also shot in the head but alive was the man who'd been yelling for help, Matt Schumann. Schumann was working part-time to top up his full-time gig as a military fireman. He was rushed to the hospital where doctors removed a fist-sized portion, almost one-fifth of his entire brain mass. All four of the victims had their guns still in their holsters and all had been shot in the head at point-blank range. To the investigators, this meant that the shooter was able to get the drop on his victims inside the ATM vestibule. As Eddie had been shot in the face without unholstering his weapon, this indicated it may have been someone he'd known. The fifth guard who'd been with them was missing. The university was in lockdown as there was a gunman on the loose who'd already taken three lives and left another nearly dead. Where was Travis Baumgartner? Was he also a victim? or even more horrifying to think was he the perpetrator. Police needed to know his whereabouts, and right now, the manhunt began. Wow, what an intense scene. Yup. Here's an Edmonton Police Service announcement from the morning after.
2: Thank you everyone for coming this morning. We are dealing today with what can only be described as a horrific act of violence at approximately 12.10 a.m. this morning several employees of the armored car company G4S were making a delivery to a bank located in the Hub Mall on the University of Alberta campus. At some point during the delivery three of those employees Mm -hmm. were shot at a location inside the mall. A fourth employee was shot outside the mall. Of those employees I can confirm that three are dead, and a fourth is in hospital right now. A fifth employee is a person of interest, and is part of an intense police investigation that started in the early hours this morning. Edmonton Police Service, RCMP, Canadian Border Services Agency, and U.S. Customs are looking for Travis Baumgartner, and I'll spell that last name, B-A-U-M-G-A-R. T N E R. He is a 22-year-old male, born May 16th, 1991, and is believed to be driving a dark blue Ford F-150 truck. Photos of this missing employee will be distributed here shortly, and we would appreciate your assistance in making these photos available to your audiences. If anyone should spot this individual or his vehicle, they should call police immediately and not approach him or contact him in any way. Mm. His involvement in this morning's shooting is not clear to us at this point, so his status to us is still a person of interest. To the families of those involved and to the coworkers of these employees from G4S and all of us here at the Edmonton Police Service and all the citizens of Edmonton, share your feelings of shock and disbelief. Our thoughts and prayers are with you at this very difficult time
0: early on in the investigation police discovered the abandoned idling g4s armored truck in an east edmonton neighborhood near a g4s compound it had been emptied of cash estimated at first around three hundred and sixty thousand dollars.
1: yeah pretty quickly it's easy to start putting two and two together what the motivation was here
0: security video from a nearby building showed a tall man leaving the armored vehicle and running duffel bag in hand to another dark-colored truck that appeared to be a Ford F-150. Travis quickly became a suspect. Throughout the first day, as well as investigating and searching for their suspect, police began to inform the devastated families of the murdered security officers that their loved ones would not be returning home. jeez. Uh, Michelle Shigelsky. Her friends called her Mick. She was born on June 29th, 1985, she grew up in high-level Alberta where her father, Peter Ernst, was the mayor of the town at the time of her murder. She'd been an army cadet in her teenage years until after graduating high school when she moved to Edmonton to go to the U of A. Mm. She graduated from U of A in 2007 with a Bachelor of Arts, majoring in psychology and minoring in philosophy. She'd traveled to Rome and London on her own, quite an achievement. Yeah, huh. Michelle had joined G4S four years prior and began working her way through the ranks, starting out patrolling a grocery store. She also volunteered with the Edmonton police from time to time. She's remembered for her fun sense of humor, creativity, and determination to overcome the obstacles in her life. She was a security guard who was afraid of the dark. <laughs> oh, she sounds like an amazing and cool person. Yeah. She loved reading And liked writing, too, keeping a blog of her own. Mm. She really enjoyed a challenge, learning to speak Chinese, and had taken lessons in belly dancing.
1: Ambitious.
0: Michelle was a newlywed when she died. She'd married the love of her life, Victor, only seven weeks prior to her death. The couple was just getting started. She was buried in her wedding dress.
1: Oh, man, that's heavy. She just, she sounds like somebody
0: you'd want in your life. And somebody as a... Parent, you would be very proud of Brian Ilisek was born on September sixteenth, nineteen seventy six. Brian's parents, Mike and Diane, said in a statement, "Words can't express how huge the loss is. However, we know that life goes on, and we know that Brian will always be, and in, in quotes, be is in quotes, with us forever in our hearts." And I guess they called him B. Yeah. Friends said he was a fun-loving guy. He was a devoted father who doted on his twelve-year-old daughter, Kiana. Friends and family members of the community held a fundraiser for Kiana and had raised over $24,000 as of late August 2012, only two months after the shooting. Oh, my
1: God, that poor girl.
0: Edgardo Eddie Reggiano. He was 39 at the time of his murder. He was working two jobs as well to support his wife, Cleo, and their two young sons, Xavier and Zyler. He was said to have been a proud family man. Mm. Eddie had also worked part-time for two years at the Wild West Shooting Center at the West Edmonton Mall. Oh, wow. At the time of his funeral, staff members at the shooting center had raised a fund of $5,000 to help his young family with expenses.
1: My thoughts are constantly going to these children. And, and not to say I'm not thinking of, of the shooting victims themselves, but oh, the kids are yeah. going to grow up having had to go through this trauma
0: Matthew Schumann, the survivor, was 25 at the time of the the attack. He was in a coma for five days. When he came out, the first person he saw there at his side was his mom, Jennifer. With his family cheering him on from Ontario, Matthew had to learn to walk, talk, and even relearn basic skills like his ABCs and 123s. He got to go home in August where he could spend more time with his son, Landon. Matt had to return to hospital to have a metal plate installed to reinforce his head where the bullet had shattered his skull. He'd been wearing a helmet for protection for months. Matthew's recovery has been miraculous, although he's lost part of his vision.
1: Oh, what, a, what a strong man, though. Wow. I can't, I, I can't, I can't imagine. Because, I mean, I'm sure he witnessed a good chunk of this as well as...
0: Was his Facebook page is kind of locked down, but... I saw some pictures that were dated later, like, yeah. uh, and he looks like a happy guy today.
1: Yeah. That's incredible.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. In Sherwood Park, Travis Baumgartner's mother awoke to find a bundle of cash worth just over $64,000 on her kitchen table. She and Travis had had an argument over money that night. They fought over the frequency that she would like him to pay rent. Mm-hmm. Sandra, his mother, said Travis had stormed out, saying she needn't worry anymore. He wasn't coming home, but she'd get her money. She also said she'd never seen him so emotionally cold, feeling like he was acting like a different person that night. Travis was in big trouble financially. He had only 26 cents in his bank account. Jeez. He was also found to be in debt with friends and had just purchased the $58,000 truck that the cops were now looking for. His mom had co-signed the loan for him, and this contributed to the argument. He loved the truck, and was known to park it far away from the others in the G4S lot. He didn't want any dents or door dings on his baby. Oh. Sander notified the police about the money, and they seized it. As well, they recovered pants and boots belonging to Travis. Apparently, he'd come home and changed after the shooting, leaving without waking anyone else. His pants and boots it turned out, had DNA from both Michelle Shigelsky and Eddie Reggiano on them. Travis had also swapped the plate on his truck for the one on his mom's car. In Alberta, they only have the rear plate. Hmm. Okay, That wasn't discovered right away, so that's why the police gave one plate early on and then later changed that.
1: I I can understand, yeah.
0: So these were not the actions of an innocent man. No. A friend who Travis owed money to also found a bag with $6,000 underneath his truck. Having seen everything unfolding on the news, the friend knew exactly where the money had come from and he was mortified.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: Even Travis's close friends since elementary school feared for his own safety. No one knew what he might do next. Yeah. Travis's mother pled for him to give himself up through a police press conference given at 9 p.m. the evening of the shootings. Here's some audio of an EPS spokesman that night saying the words from Travis's mom.
3: We uh, had the opportunity to speak to our suspect's mother, uh, her name being uh, Sandy uh, Baumgartner, and uh, she wanted me to read a plea to you, to the media and to the citizens of our city, and to the rest of the people in Canada, a uh, plea to her son to turn himself in. And I'm going to read verbatim what she said here. She said, Trav, I'm sorry that we had an argument last night and had bad words between us, but I want you to come home and do the right thing. Let's work this out together. She then stated, as your mother, I ask that you come forward now and take responsibility for your actions. Please, Travis, I love you. I'm pleading with you with all my heart to end this without further bloodshed. As your mother, I promise to you now that I will be there by your side to support you. You're not alone, Trav. Please, I love you and I want to help you. Call police now and end this peacefully. I think it's important to state as well that Mrs. Baumgartner wanted me to pass along her her sincere, uh, deep, heartfelt uh, sympathy to the victim's families. She would have preferred to deliver these condolences herself, but you can probably uh, well understand she's quite upset by all of these events. She's in a state of shock, and she just wants Travis to turn himself in.
0: I saw some video with his mom speaking later on about what she'd been through Mm -hmm. as a mom in this situation. And she was so distraught. I really felt for her. I can't imagine being a parent and your child being responsible for such a horrible thing. I,
1: I can't imagine. And there are times where we like to hold the parents culpable for their kids actions but uh i i i get i gather there's a lot of sincere sincerity in what she's saying and going through and also a victim here
0: travis Baumgartner was a 2009 graduate of bev facey community high school in sherwood park alberta he'd worked a while in the oil patch and did a bit of work in construction before getting his gig at g4s Friends said they'd noticed changes in Travis as his mood darkened after high school. He'd begin to realize that life could be difficult, and being blonde, blue-eyed, six foot four inches tall and fit only got you so far. Travis's transition from high school to the real world was a tough one. He wasn't making the money he wanted or saw himself entitled to. One friend said he'd started smoking what he referred to as synthetic marijuana, also known as K2 or Spice, and was heavily into it for a couple of years before the shootings. From drugabuse.gov, K2 or Spice, also called synthetic cannabinoids, are human-made, mind-altering chemicals that are either sprayed on dried, shredded plant material so they can be smoked, or sold as liquids to be vaporized and inhaled in e-cigarettes and other devices. The products are also known as herbal or liquid incense. Huh, I did not know any of that. Spice or K2 is not actually marijuana at all, and the potency can be extreme and it is said to be highly addictive. Hmm. Spice has been sold in head shops and on the streets as potpourri and is often (laughs) marked not for human consumption from mentalhelp.net some of the effects of long-term spice usage include changes in cognition personality and intelligence memory loss brain damage depression and anxiety aggressive behavior thoughts of suicide gastrointestinal problems such as vomiting and diarrhea decreased immunity skin infections rapid heart rate and other cardiovascular problems so that sounds like some nasty drug oh, and yeah. marijuana is a lot less harmful and as it's now legal in Canada. Yeah. Know. Yeah, absolutely.
1: They sound like very, very, de- I thought there was more
0: similarity between no. the two, but no. Yeah. No. And maybe people think that. Yeah. I don't know. And this in no way excuses someone's behavior. No. If they're, they're on drugs, they, no. they've chose to ingest those drugs and- yep. Have to be accountable for such. Travis's Plenty of Fish profile is interesting and i'm saying that in quotes <laughs> its title is lee trav that's what he calls himself mm. it says i'm a great guy we don't come along often so uh, yeah hey, just yeah. bear with me yeah i'm uh, yep. <laughs> in a few of his online social profiles he calls himself lee trav and i'm not sure of the origins of that but he's a great guy and <laughs> they don't come along often <laughs> His profile photos are him shirtless in the bathroom taking a mirror selfie. He's, you know, you see that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, but another one is a creepy selfie with that black hoodie and a black scarf covering all but his eyes. And then another photo of his truck.
1: Yeah, so I saw these photos and, you know, well, well I mean, he was in good shape. He he was pretty fit, but what a douche nozzle he is. Wait. And, oh. Scott, n- Okay. we have more to talk. But, about But oh, wait, I just—I've got to address the—I'm a great guy. We don't come along often. I have to. It speaks for itself, does there, it not? A, there's a thing like if you have to proclaim you're something, you're not that. Like Trump constantly, uh, like narcissists. Yes. If you, I am fantastic. Everybody says I'm funny. You're not. If you have to say that. Ugh.
0: Well, wait. It gets better. Oh, great. He lists his interests as gaming, driving. Physics, golf, working out, science, astronomy, going to the firing range, sports, biology, and decent books. <laughs> I don't De- know what- Decent books. I don't know what he means by decent book.
1: He's not going to lower himself to 50 shades of gray, Mike. That's, that's an indecent book. Decent books. Okay. So
0: only the good books is what he said. I only read the good book. Mm. Oh, the about me section is quite good. Oh, great. Buckle up. It says, hi, I'm Travis. Mm. I'm 6'4". I live to work out, exercise, go for bike rides, anything outdoors really. He's not big on punctuation or spelling or grammar, so (laughs) I have a a hard time reading this and I don't care that we're slagging this guy because he's, he's earned it a bit. Yes, My ambitions, he's misspelled ambitions, in this world of ours is to better our world. So by shooting three people, you're bettering the world, apparently. And I I like that he used the word world twice in one sentence. I intend to become the CEO of a major corporation and use my power to help everyone I can. Grandiose thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm a people person. I love talking, and there's no comma in there. (laughs) I'm easy to get to know. I'm laid back. Plus, I've been told I look like a 10. Oh. There you go Scott oh. So if you're interested Please message me smiley mm. face He went on to describe his ideal First date but that's too boring And I refused to read it <laughs> I wonder how many fish he caught Oh, Sadly he probably got quite a few bites But uh,
1: wow So he's pretty much like I'm tall, I'm handsome I'm fit, I'm worldly I'm pretty much a scientist And I'm fighting For world peace He's like, he's painted himself like a muscular Bill
0: Nye, the science guy. And with that, we'll take a break. (sighs) All right, we're back. And and we're over Baumgartner's Plenty of Fish hump. I'll never be over that. There's more interesting things about this guy that you're going to be impressed with. Oh, great. Baumgartner wanted to be an Edmonton police officer. Okay. Great. And according to his friends, he applied but was not accepted. Oh, we're yeah. not sure whether that's actually true or not. And if he did apply and wasn't accepted, we don't know why he wasn't. Really? But it could have been he didn't have any post-secondary education, as most police services require a degree now. Or experience of some kind. And he had neither. Well, yeah, they probably also saw his plenty of fish profile. Edmonton police told CTV News that Travis would have never made it through the screening process. <laughs> there were too many red flags. In fact, in fact, he'd threatened suicide at a previous job. And his posts on social media profiles were disturbing. There's photos of Travis with guns and other things. Travis applied for G4S. If he can't get into the cops, he wants to work somewhere uh, like the Armored Car Division where he knew he'd get to carry a gun. That's what he really wanted. It's my top criteria for most jobs. Need to carry a gun? supervisor at a telecom, I need to carry a gun. Travis was hired in April of 2012. His classmates in training at G4S saw Travis as immature and, quote, a bit off. (laughs) He showed up to his first day of training in a military tactical (laughs) vest which did not impress his classmates, some of whom were actually military. Travis was a wannabe, they said. Yeah,
1: he really is coming off as needing to portray himself as something he's not.
0: We're unaware of the type of screening that G4S does when they're screening people. He was posting things on his social media about the job right away. On April 19th, 2012, he posted, Two days till training, I get a gun. Oh. Winky smiley face. Oh. May 2nd, 2012, 100% shooting test, I'm a god. Or, Or you just have good aim. May 10th, 2012, I had a dream where I went back to Haythorn and beat the shit out of anybody that made fun of me in the past. I love my mind. What the hell? June 1st, 2012, this is 14 days before the murders. I wonder if I'd make the six o'clock news if I just started popping people off. What the shit? This is a Facebook post.
1: What the hell?
0: And then uh, he changed his profile picture showing him wearing a bulletproof vest, a balaclava, and sunglasses looking down uh, on June 9th. In cans. It, it's kind of chilling as it completely <laughs> obscures his identity, and it's like... In hindsight, yeah, when I saw that photo, it's like, oh, okay, that's... But we've seen weird stuff on Facebook, uh, talking about what we talk about. Some of the people who add us. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) It's true. And, uh. We've seen interesting thing. We have. Travis had joked a few times with his friends about robbing G4S. And he even texted a friend the night of the shooting saying, tonight's the night. His buddy thought he was kidding.
1: And so this guy actually thought he was going to get away with this shit.
0: But he didn't really have a plan. This is the thing. A nationwide warrant for his arrest was drawn up and the Edmonton Police Service, RCMP, Canadian Border Security Agency, and U.S. Homeland Security were all actively on the lookout for Travis Baumgartner, considered armed and dangerous. Because he's got to flee somewhere. You're not sticking around town when you've just murdered three people and stole a bunch of cash. So where did he go? He Uh, drove here to B.C. Yep. Almost twelve hundred kilometers from Edmonton, at three o eight p.m. Pacific time on Saturday, June sixteenth, two thousand twelve, the next day, mm-hmm. a dark blue pickup pulled up to the Linden, Washington, Aldergrove, B.C. border crossing. Yeah, I know that border crossing. The license plate was scanned, and it immediately set off the armed and dangerous alert on the U.S. Border Guard's PC. Mm-hmm. Border officials swarmed the truck and Travis, who had no passport with him, was arrested without incident. He was placed in a holding cell, awaiting retrieval by Canadian officials. He was unarmed, and his bulletproof vest was gone. They found 334000 Canadian dollars in the backpack in his truck. I'm sure he got that legitimately. <laughs> oh, totally. Before Scott makes a shitty remark about the Canadian dollar, it's about $251,000 U.S. Travis was quickly turned over to Canadian authorities, but now he had some bullshit to sling. Oh, God. Although Travis gave a fake name, David Webb, at first he claimed he could not remember the last four days. Oh, my God. He claimed he was held at gunpoint and told if he didn't drive this bag of money to Seattle, his family would be killed, specifically his mom. Does this story sound familiar to anyone, uh, David Webb? David Webb is the alias that secret agent Jason Bourne uses in the Robert Ludlam spy novels.
1: Oh, uh-huh, okay. Oh, so these are the
0: decent books he was referring to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's a movie guy and not a book guy. Yeah. 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 I think he's probably watched Matt Damon. <laughs> if you have to say, you qualify your reading with decent books that you don't you don't read. Jason Bourne, aka Webb, is a secret agent and trained assassin who has his memory erased yep. to make him a more effective weapon. Oh, great movie. Great movie. Bourne has been played in 1988 on TV by Richard Chamberlain. I don't, really? Yep. Same guy from Shogun. Yeah. Yep. And more recently, by Matt Damon and Jeremy Renner.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The Matt Damon ones. I, um, I
1: never saw the Jeremy Renner one. I saw it. It's it's pretty good. I'm not a big Jeremy Renner fan. Yeah, I'm
0: indifferent to him, but uh, I'm a I'm a Matt Damon fan. Even later, back in interrogation, Travis claimed a man with short blonde hair, a tribal tattoo, and brown eyes had been watching his mom and would kill her if he didn't drive his money to the U.S. Did he just describe Mike Tyson? Tribal tattoo? No, but it, a oh. blonde hair? Yeah, Mike okay. Tyson doesn't have blonde hair. No. He said, I'm just trying to help my mom, sir. Oh, well, what a decent chap he is. We've misunderstood him. The detective left the room for 15 minutes, and when he came back, he started talking to Travis again. After accidentally referring to Travis as Trevor three times, the narcissist and Baumgartner could stand it no longer. <laughs> Actually, it's Travis, he said. <laughs> so out the window goes the David Webb story. Holy shit. All you got to do is, is say his name incorrectly and his ego can't handle it.
1: And this guy is an, a, he's a
0: moron. I am not somebody who was there to give the person an intelligence test, but 10, it's quacking a bit like a duck. Yes, his, his actions
1: and behavior
0: indicate he's he's a moron from my perspective. This was the turning point. Travis said, I just can't believe I would do something like that. He said that he went to work around 6.30 p.m. The detective asked Travis, were you mad when you got there? And Travis said, I think so. Just mad at the world, I guess.
1: Oh, well, there. then you want, you've got every right to go take children's well, he just fathers. Had a,
0: had a fight with his mom. He claimed people at work didn't like him and made fun of him, just like we're doing. And he was resentful with G4S management. The detective asked, Who did you kill first? After a pause of about 30 seconds, Travis leaned forward and quietly said, Michelle. Hmm. This is when the details started to spill out. From the agreed statement of facts, later read into evidence, At 16.51 hours, the accused admitted to Detective Jones that he shot his three co-workers and Eddie who was outside the truck. He didn't recall any reasoning to the order in which he'd shot them. He stated, I think I was just mad at everybody. He admitted that when he shot each of them, he was aiming for their heads. He put the bulletproof vest in a creek in a different place from the gun near Banff. No one will get it. He made sure of that, he said. Hmm. And apparently those things have never been found. Travis then tearfully wrote letters to all his victims, as we've seen the police have others do when they're taking a confession. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't done talking. Now he couldn't shut up. He was put into a cell wired for sound with an undercover police officer. He talked for about an hour and a half and started as he laid down on his bunk in the cell without prompting. I did it all, he said. I killed those people and robbed their truck. I've heard audio from this interaction, and it's excellent. There's no mistaking what the two are talking about. There's no noise or anything like that. It's very clear audio. Mm. And Travis's tone gives us a real glimpse into the heart of a stone cold murderer. Mm. The audio is unavailable publicly in its entirety. I heard it in a documentary and there's music behind it, and I don't want to steal it from there. Yeah, I gotcha. So let's have a little play. Oh, Do
1: I get to act again?
0: Scott gets to act, and I get to act. Yeah. So from the agreed statement of facts, Scott and I will read a blurb of, of what Travis and the officer said. Scott will play the officer, and I will play Travis, the accused. Respect my authority. So it starts with Travis. Yeah, I was using hollow points, too, so it just... Pop! Brains are mush. Fuck, yeah. They go in, and they don't come out. All it takes is one, eh? Well, apparently not, because the fourth guy. Yeah? Well, fuck. That guy
1: must have uh,
0: had a fucking head of steel. Yeah, I remember the last guy took three shots. Three? Yeah. Three to go down?
1: Jesus, he's strong, eh?
0: Yeah, don't think about it. It's over and done with now. I was really pissed when I fired that first shot. My hearing was... Hearing? when. I couldn't hear anything because the the gun was so loud. Fuck. You didn't even hear the other ones? You just see it? Yeah, because, like, that ringing you hear in anything, like, any kind of movie or games? Yeah. Exactly, I heard. Too loud? It's fucked up. Didn't see it coming? Nope, none of them. How the fuck? With guns? Yeah, they couldn't draw fast enough. No skills. And literally... Probably three shots within a matter of two seconds. Fuck, that's fast. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Uh, Fucking mafia would have been impressed.
1: Hmm, man, I'm not hearing a lot of remorse in there.
0: No, he was bragging. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even act. I just said the words.
1: I was emoting the whole way through it, man.
0: Okay, but (laughs) when you hear the audio, it's just...
1: Yeah, yeah, You as you were saying, you can really hear how cold and uh, 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 emotionless he was, right? He just didn't care. Yeah, that's just
0: disgusting. Travis was brought back to Edmonton and charged with three counts of first-degree murder for the brutal slangs of his fellow G4S employees, Michelle Shigelsky, Brian Ilisek, and Eddie Virgiano, as well as the attempted murder of Matthew Schumann. He was also charged with four counts of robbery with a firearm. Mm-hmm. He was given a list of people he was not allowed to contact, all the victims, families, or potential witnesses in his trial. Makes sense. On what was to be the first day of Travis's trial, Monday, September 9, 2013, Baumgartner pleaded guilty to first-degree murder in the death of Eddie Regiano, two counts of second-degree murder in the deaths of Brian Illisek and Michelle Shigelski, and guilty of one account of attempted murder in the shooting of Matthew Schumann. The robbery charges were stayed. So this was a deal that they had come up with between the.
1: I'm just curious as to why only one count of first degree and two of second degree.
0: Just, it seems That's odd. just what they agreed to. Yeah, it seems odd. I think
1: you would think all three would be first degree, but.
0: <laughs> Victim imp- impact statements from the families were read, from a global news article on the day of the sentencing hearing. "Quote, I believe Justice Rook did the best he could given our legal system." This is probably one of the better sentences we've had, we've ever had in Canada, considering the death penalty is out now, said Vic- Victor Szekelski, Michelle's young widower. But my wife is still dead. It's the justice system, explained Joseph Reggiano, Eddie's brother. You can call it justice. Today was, I guess, a victory for everyone. We got some closure, at least for the boys, he added, hugging one of Eddie's young sons close to him. They're growing up without their father. Joseph said, his voice cracking. You can't explain that to a child, you just have to help them. Janet Stotsky, Brian's aunt, spoke on behalf of the Illisek family. She shared how difficult the last year and a half had been. These last few days have been tough as well. Sitting in the courtroom with Travis was extremely difficult. I think that all of the family showed enormous restraint and respect and honored our loved ones that we lost. She said the joint submission gave the family some hope that multiple victims will be honored within the justice system. I'm not sure when you're going to go through this level of pain, you can never feel satisfied with the justice that's available. But I do believe they worked hard for us, and I think we've been honored today. Travis's sentence was the harshest since the last use of the death penalty in 1962, even more than Moncton Mountie shooter Justin Bork. Oh, wow. Travis Brandon Baumgartner was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole until he has served 40 years. Mm. If he gets parole, he'll be 61 at the time. And if he ever does get out, he's banned from ever owning another firearm. No shit.
1: I don't think he gets out. I mean, 40 years is a long time. People can grow and stuff, but nah, nah.
0: He also had to surrender a DNA sample for the National Offender Data Bank. For sure. Here's Global TV's Jenna Bridges reporting from outside the Edmonton courthouse.
4: It took Justice John Rook just over three hours to make a precedent-setting decision in the sentencing of 22-year-old Travis Baumgartner. Addressing the court, Rook called Baumgartner a callous and cold-hearted killer, calling his crimes horrendous. Justice Rook gave calculated and thorough reasons for his decision. Court heard the justice read excerpts from victim impact statements saying it took, quote, a strong stomach to read the emotional pleas. In the end, he said he did not find the joint submission by the Crown and defence to be contrary to public interest, and for that reason, it was accepted. Family members lingered after the sentencing, hugging in the courtroom, some speaking to the media for the first time since Travis Baumgartner killed three of his former co-workers and critically injured a fourth.
0: It's uh, affected us pretty hard. Ed was a
3: big part of our lives.
4: You
3: know, He rose the two of us together. Been hard. There's satisfaction
2: for us knowing that, you know, every victim that he took, uh, he's had some time added onto his sentence. I think that's very important for the survivors.
4: Travis Baumgartner wore a black suit and, much like trial on Monday, remained expressionless and emotionless staring mostly straight ahead with his eyes lowered. He rose only for his formal sentencing and did not speak. Travis Baumgartner will be eligible for parole in 2052. He will be 61.
0: Good riddance, Travis Baumgartner. Goodbye, you piece of shit. Wow. That was a a tough
1: one. Yeah, he's another I believe as you were telling me ahead of time another punch me face guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really, um, I don't like, uh, bullying anybody, but I can't help it. I, with, with individuals like this, I feel compelled to like
0: yeah, uh, verbally attack them because. We're smaller guys. Yes. And we both know those kind of guys from high school. Yes. And I'm not saying that Travis was one of those because I don't know that for sure. I don't know. I just look at him. And I see my bullies from high school.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. And then when describing his actions and everything, like he sounds like a very, very entitled, in narcissistic, narcissistic yep. sociopath. Yeah, well, like, he just all that was important was him. He really had no escape plan. Yeah, he, no. he had a short term escape to get away from the scene, but he had no like. What you know, like, how do I get away with these riches? And you're gonna think you're gonna drive across the border without a passport? Not, a...
0: not the sharpest tool oh, in the shed. No.
1: Anyways, rant over.
0: Before we go, we want to give our shout outs to our new patron patrons. This week's good eggs are uh, Allison Wingrove from Woburn, Massachusetts. Hey, Allison, thank you. David Hanster from Ottawa. Oh, Ottawa,
1: Ontario. Amanda Thanks. Holt.
0: Oh, thank you, Amanda. Michael Pittman from Greenville, North Carolina.
1: Man, we've got people from North Carolina, Greenville, listening to us. Thank you, Michael.
0: Catherine Buchanan from Victoria, B.C.
1: Oh, hey, Catherine. Is she come into the uh, meet and greet?
0: Unknown. It will have passed by the time this uh, episode drops. Well, it's not my fault. She can get a time machine. I have a feeling we're going to meet her there. <laughs> Chantelle Bell from Vancouver, Washington. Oh. I was chatting with her a bit. Oh yeah, it's just across, the, well, not just across the border, but it's a, Close to Mount St. Helens. Yeah, it's about a five-hour drive or so from here. So Christine Tut sent us some donut money over PayPal. Thank you very much, Christine. Yeah, she's good people. I, I've chatted with her. She's good people. Thanks so much to our patrons past and present for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show if you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com/dark/slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us some donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And I didn't say PayPal this time. Oh, you did, but I suspect you're going to edit it out. I did. You did. <laughs> Check our website, www.darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. And tell your friends about us. Especially fun is our closed Facebook group, The Yumber Yard. We're active there and you can meet some other cool listeners. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lots of great listeners. of great people in there. Great folks. Absolutely. And we're all trying, we're trying to do a card exchange, but Canada Post can't get their act together. So some people aren't going to get their cards in time for no. Christmas. Yeah.
1: Wah, wah. Yarg.
0: Come on, mm-hmm. Canada Post. You can subscribe to us on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. How about them apples? I like them apples. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. See you next week. Bye-bye,
1: everybody. Bye-bye.
2: Showcase. They call me the Christchurch Carver. Based on the international bestseller. This trademark souvenir.
0: Can't stop thinking about the apple. Usually he eats it.
2: I've got a copycat on my
3: hands.
0: I know who you are Joe. I know what you do. You have two days to find a copycat.
3: This is way harder to make sense of when you didn't do it.
2: Dark City the cleaner. All new Wednesdays on Showcase. Stream on Stack TV.